News Talk ZB and the New Zealand Herald present Cooking the Books with Francis Cook, demystifying your finances. Welcome to Cooking the Books. I'm Francis Cook. No matter where you're at in your investing journey, you need a mix of high and low risk investments. In a previous episode, I talked about the rule of 100. The idea that if you take your age, subtract that from 100, what's left is the ideal percentage of high-risk investments you should have your money in. That's because investing is always about time, and the more time you have, the more risk can help you make money while you sleep. But that also means that we all need a certain amount of low risk. Even if you're younger and you're mostly going for wealth-boosting options like shares, a little bit of low-risk investment rounds out your options to be better in the long term. And if you're older, you might need quite a few low-risk investments. Lower risk means you don't make as much money over the long term, but they are dependable and should help keep a little trickle of money coming through even when the economy goes through a rough patch. One good option is bonds. News Talk ZB presents Cooking the Books with Francis Cook, boosting your business confidence. I'm joined now by Mark Fowler from Hobson Wealth. So we'll often talk about the need for some good low-risk options. No matter what sort of strategy you've got, some low-risk can be good. And also sometimes people refer to it as fixed income. Among those, bonds. Really good option. What are they, though? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. I guess uh, when I think about corporate bond, I think the most simplistic way to think about it is it's like a form of a loan. Mm. So if you think if you go to the bank to get a residential mortgage, you know, you'll borrow money from the bank at a predetermined rate, interest rate, at a predetermined period of time. Mm. So in this case, you're actually the lender. So for instance, it might be a business like Auckland Airport, and they're effectively borrowing money from you at a predetermined rate and a predetermined term. So you might buy a five-year bond from Auckland Airport and agree that they will pay you an interest rate of 4% over that period for five years. Mm-hmm. And that effectively is a bond. So it's an arrangement between you, the investor, and Auckland Airport, the borrower. And that is, in its sort of simplest form is essentially what a, what a bond is. And how do you go about buying them? If you're interested, how does that work? Yes, so they're readily tradable. So I guess that's another sort of selling point, if you like, for bonds. So if you think about a term deposit with a bank, uh, you you know you you invest your money in, on term deposit, you get a rate, but you can't you can't trade it, so you can't buy or sell it. Whereas with corporate bonds, there's a fully listed market on the NZX where you can see daily pricing, mm. um, and so you're able to buy and sell those bonds as well, which can be really useful if you have a liquidity event. So you know you needed that money. Um, you don't want to, with a term deposit, often there's a break fee that you have to enter into, mm. whereas bonds are readily tradable. So, so that's another advantage is, is that liquidity uh, utilisation that you can have. Yeah, and of course liquidity just meaning how easy can you turn it back into cash, it's fairly simple. So would you say that the way that you buy a bond is somewhat similar to how you'd buy something like shares? Absolutely. So yes, yeah, so you might use a, a, an investment broker, for instance, to 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 execute for you, so to buy and sell shares, very, very similar with bonds. Mm-hmm. So in, in that sense, it is, from an investment perspective or how you actually execute, then yes, you know, very, very similar to shares. Okay. And in terms of where we're looking at it on the scale of investments, because you've mentioned term deposits and we've also talked a bit about shares and, and there is this sliding scale of how we think about investments. Where do bonds fit amongst the others. Yeah, absolutely. So you're absolutely right. They're, they're certainly considered the more defensive investment. Mm. 
So if we think from a, if you want to say from a high risk down to a low risk, so we deem you know, equity investing, so shares as, as, as high risk mm-hmm. or higher risk, I should say. Um, and then you have different levels of investments in terms of without getting too complex around subordinated bonds and different types of equity classes, which is, again, it comes with risk. Mm-hmm. And then bonds are considered more low risk, very steady, fixed income. You know what you're going to receive. Um, and as long as the company is solvent and, you know, you get your money back at the end of it and you've received your interest. And then I guess cash down, down that way even the sort of lowest risk, if you like. Mm. So bonds certainly sent, uh, sit lower in that, in that sort of risk tolerance, um, and we would definitely deem them as a more defensive asset than, than something like a share. And it's interesting when you're talking there about sort of the defensive asset idea, because I think that's a really good way to put it. We talk about risk when we talk about investments, and we're using the same word, but in a different way from how people talk about risk in day-to-day life. I mean, in day-to-day life, risk means bad. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and for investments, it kind of means volatility. Like, how much is it going to move up and down? In terms of the normal person risk, there are different ways of looking at it. You know, uh, shares can be normal person risk, bad in the short term, good in the long term because they're making you money, but they're going up and down in that time. Yes. Meanwhile, bonds, quite dependable, but they're not making you as much money, right? Like how much could you re- reliably expect them to make you? Yeah, so if we think of it in the, in the current context of the market, if you were buying a senior corporate bond, so a name that would be familiar to most, like Auckland Airport or Chorus, Fonterra, something like that, they're yielding around about 3% at the moment. So, mm-hmm. you know, still quite a low yielding or low interest rate in terms of that investment. Mm. But if you think at cash at the moment, our cash rate's sitting at 1%. Mm. And I guess a normalised equity returns, what we call, which they haven't been that in the last few years, but normalised equity returns tend to be sort of high single digit is what we would deem as, as more normalised equity returns. So if you think of it in that construct, sort of sort of 7 to 8% for equities, mm-hmm. normalised, sort of 3% for corporate bonds and, and 1% to 2% for cash. So mm. as you say, then the bonds aren't necessarily going to make you rich, but um, but they are defensive and you know what you're going to get. So you, you're sort of getting what it says on the tin, if you like. Yeah, they're, they're nice and stable. And I, that, I think, is where it comes into when you are looking out for your money. It doesn't need to be complicated, but almost all of us need some sort of mix. So... For the average person, how do bonds work as part of your mix of money strategies? Yeah, absolutely. So we just think of it as part of how you allocate your money. So, you know, in the industry, we deem it as asset allocation. Mm. So if you're a balanced investor and you've got a reasonable time frame in terms of investing, mm. you know, we talk about having a sort of 60-40 mix, if you like. Mm-hmm. So we'd have 60% of growth assets. Mm-hmm. They might be equities, private equity, those sorts of things. And then 40% of defensive assets, which would be fixed income and cash. Mm-hmm. And office on property obviously plays a big part as well, for particularly for New Zealand investors. But mm-hmm. if you think of that sort of capital allocation story, a little bit in shares, a little bit in bonds, a little bit in property and a bit in cash, we think that's a really balanced, constructive way of investing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, m- most of your returns will be driven through the equity market and probably the property market. But fixed income sort of provides that ballast, if you like. Um, mm. So when equity markets aren't doing so well or property markets aren't doing so well, 
the fixed income is sort of it's a bit like the hare and the tortoise is, is doing doing what it's meant to do, and, and that's how we think of it when in terms of overall investing. Yeah, exactly. I think of things like shares and property. They can be really good wealth builders, and some years you will just see them sprint away. I mean, shares have been having an absolute cracker. They will at some point have a little bit of a nightmare again, yes. and. At that point, that's when your bonds, because it is, as you say, fixed income, it, it is going to give you a certain amount pretty constantly. Um, that's where you can hold your nerve and be like, well, I've got my bonds. Yes. It's almost that mental protection as well as income protection, especially if you are getting towards retirement years and you actually are relying on this for income, then that's great. But even if you're younger and you need that mental protection – Bonds are very helpful. Absolutely. And I think and a really key feature to remember is, you know, an equity can halve in value, so a share can halve in value, and it can take a long time for that to, to regain its value. And it will, but it's time. Absolutely. Whereas bonds, if you if you have a three-year bond, it's a three-year pre-agreed term. Mm. At the end of the three years, you get your money back and you've received your interest on the way. So you're not so concerned about that volatility as you speak of. Mm. It's really a very it's a steady investment. Um, mm. So and I think that's the, the, certainly the best way to think about it. Yeah, and I think even when someone is, I mean, myself, I would count myself as an aggressive investor at yes. this point <laughs> yes. in my um, money journey because I am right at the beginning of things. I have a job. I have decades of time before I am hoping to use my investments. I count myself as a wealth builder at the moment. Yes. I am going for those growth assets. I want things that are going to make me money so that I can use them later. But even then, a certain small amount in bonds is still useful just in case things go haywire, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, even as you say, even for a growth investor, which would be someone like yourself, <laughs> you know, we still recommend you have a portion of fixed income. Mm. And also having money in fixed income too can provide opportunities. So if you think, if you say you have 20% of your assets in fixed income, mm -hmm. and we saw a big drawdown in the equity market, so, you know, equities perform very poorly, mm. then you can reallocate from fixed income and, and buy the equities at, at a cheaper price and say, mm. hey, look, that's also, it's sort of almost like a holding period to say, hey, look, I'll sit there because I know I can rely on my fixed income. And if equity markets have a bit of a blip, then that, maybe that's an opportunity to re reallocate over there. So very much thinking about it in a construct of a portfolio. So as you say, even if you've got a long time frame and you're young and you're, you're a growth client, you know, we still recommend to have some allocation to, to bonds. And I often, I spend far too much time on social media. <laughs> it's probably terrible for my mental health, but there we are. It's nice to be able to chat with people at least. Um, and I often, I see it come up time and time again from all sorts of different people saying, I want to make more money, but I'm going to need it in six months time or so. And so I want something that's really safe. Yes. What can I do that gets me lots of money, but is really safe? My <laughs> response is always... One of there's a trade off, and I'm, that's just how it works. But what do you make of those sorts of questions? Yeah, absolutely. I sort of almost you, you know wanting to have your cake and eat it too. I mean, it doesn't mm. really work like that in that sense, as you mm. say. I think on a six month time frame, mm. um, you know, it's very. I mean, you can get very lucky on a, on a, on a particular equity or particular share, and it could mm. double in that time. Mm -hmm. But that's a huge amount of risk around doing that. So we refer to it as you know risk adjusted returns. Mm. Um, so we certainly because equally over that six month period, it could halve. Mm -hmm. um, so as you say, if you if you know if you know you need that money in six months' time, 
you know, something like a bond or a term deposit just makes a lot more sense in terms of at least you know at the end of that six-month period, you know your capital is going to be intact. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think when you're thinking about, as you say, wealth creation and wealth building, you know, we always say to our clients it's very much over the longer term and, and you know, there's no, there's no sort of free hit, if you like. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and I always, I think of it in terms of shares and things are great for money that you are very confident you're not going to need nothing is sure but very confident that you're not going to need for at least five years ideally more like 10. um where do bonds fit in terms of how much time mentally should you be allocating for them to stay there yeah look i think we always recommend you know to always have an allocation to bonds Mm -hmm. so you're constantly refinancing if you like or reinvesting Mm-hmm. Um, so as you said, bonds will have a term, a period that's agreed, whether it's three years or five years or seven years. Mm. Um, and generally when we're building a fixed income portfolio, we'll have quite a laddered approach. So you'll have sort of regular maturities rolling off because um, you know, two things that bonds don't like is, is growth and inflation. Mm. And so if your rate of return that you're receiving is not keeping up with inflation, you, know, you want that bond to be maturing. So then that you can reinvest at higher interest rate levels. And so I guess that's your only, it's not a risk to your capital, but it's just that opportunity cost that you're sitting in a five-year bond at 3%. But if you now, and you sort of a, a year later, you bought another five-year bond and it's at 4%, well, you're locked in at three. So thinking about, again, around that kind of residential mortgage idea of, you know, we always sort of say, say to people, you know, have some different types sort of maturities because ultimately, you know, you want to hedge where your interest rates are. And this is the thing, is that um, the great unseen risk for a lot of people, and that's, again, risk in the normal person sense of it, is that inflation is underway constantly. You know, uh, a 50-cent pack of lollies was a much different size 10 years ago versus now it's, can you even get 50 cent anymore? I think they're at least $2 now. Um, And so you're constantly fighting your money being worth less and less. You do need to have these strategies to be at least keeping pace and hopefully staying a little bit ahead. But now we've talked a little bit about how bonds are considered low risk. Is there ever a time when they are high risk? Look, I think there are. And look, the the thing with bonds is that there are differing types of bonds just to sort of complicate the the issue. Um, So what we'd sort of been speaking around as senior bonds. So they rank sort of equally with the banks. They are considered, you know, the, the sort of safest of investment in terms of that business. But companies can issue things called subordinated bonds. Okay, and so they rank below the senior bonds and they're sort of closer to, have, they have equity-like characteristics. Mm. So what, what is a pretty simple instrument can get quite complicated. And so what we would sort of say is, yeah, be, be careful of what bond you are buying making sure that it's senior as opposed to subordinated because then you are taking more type risk. And then I guess also, you know, the company or the business that you're, you are lending your money to effectively. So mm-hmm. talked about earlier about Auckland Airport, we don't have any worries with that as a business. But then we think about the finance coll- collapse and those sorts of finance mm-hmm. company collapse. You know, those companies, do you want to be lending your money to them? So, so being very aware of who you're lending your money to and, and what bond you're buying, I think are, are probably the two key things. And there is also, you can get government bonds as well, can't you? Yes. So I always think as well, I mean, the New Zealand government might be, hopefully, fairly yeah. stable. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then you have other ones overseas where they might not be as stable. Can that be a risk factor as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we think of the New Zealand context, we sort of say government debt or government bonds. Mm. 
are the closest thing you can get to a risk-free return. Mm-hmm. So to your point, I think you know if the government can't pay you back, then you're we're in probably, trouble. We're probably in a lot of trouble. <laughs> but um, but we've only got to go back a few years to um, the, the, the crisis that they had in Greece with mm-hmm. those Greek bonds, and you know they they went to something like sort of seventy cents in the dollar. You know, so so there is that risk around that sovereign. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you say, it probably is less so when you think about developed economies like New Zealand, Australia, and the US. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we term government bonds as as effectively you know, risk-free returns or the closest thing to that. And this is the thing is, uh, over and over again, even when you say something is low risk, nothing is zero risk. Even a savings account is considered pretty low risk, low return. But, I mean, worst case scenario, a bank can keel over, and I don't mean to be yeah. freaking anyone out. Oh. It's just that there's a very, very, very small percentage chance of Bad things happening. Absolutely. And we, we've only got to go back to the GFC and what mm-hmm. happened with Lehman Brothers and effectively, you know, central banks had to step in to, to prop up the banks. Mm. So look, and I guess that's another key thing just to mention again on bonds is that is that diversification of risk as well. Yes. So if you've got all your money in a bank term deposit, let's say with the BNZ, mm-hmm. then you're taking BNZ risk 100%. Whereas with a bond portfolio, you can have, you know, different corporate names within that, or government names mm-hmm. or semi-government names. And so... Again, you're diversifying your risk because it's not just with one institution. Exactly. And this is why it's good to have as well, you know, a little bit in your savings account and some in bonds and some in shares. And this is why it works. You spread your money around and the further you spread it, the more you are insulating yourself against those black swan events where things just go totally terribly and you couldn't have predicted it. You know, you've just got to move yourself around. One last thing I would like to talk about while we're talking yeah. about in terms of myth busting is um, sometimes people get in touch with me and they say, I would love to get into bonds. Yes. I'm going to buy some bonus bonds, <laughs> which are two different things. Yeah. Tell me why they're different. Look, uh, bonus bonds really is a, um, it's a bit like buying a raffle ticket or actually or even buying a lotto ticket. So a bonus bond scheme is actually you enter into a pool, you get given these bonus bonds Mm -hmm. and you basically go into like cash prize draw. Mm -hmm. So I did read somewhere that the chances of of receiving a large prize in the bonus bonds is something like one in 25,000 chance. So as As a terrible (laughs) percentage return. (laughs) Exactly. And because they do draws to see whether you get a prize, Mm -hmm. some years you won't get a prize. Mm -hmm. So therefore, if you say you bought a thousand dollars worth of bonus bonds, Mm -hmm. you've effectively had no return for that year because you didn't win a prize. Worse than a savings account. Absolutely. And to your point, Francis, if inflation is tracking somewhere near 2%, you're actually getting a what we deem you know, a negative real return. Mm. So so look, bonus bonds are a bit of fun. They were back in the day. And I think, I know people used to get them as Christmas presents and these sorts of things. But as I wouldn't deem it as an investment. I, I think it's really more, as I say, more like a, a, a lotto ticket than, than anything else. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much. That was a lot of myth busting. Really appreciate your time. (laughs) That's Mark Fowler from Hobson Wealth. Now, you might have a question about this, another money topic, something to do with property maybe. If you do, just get in touch with me. We'll see if we can get it answered in a future podcast episode. You can find me on Facebook at Francis Cook Journalist, Twitter, Francis Cook, Instagram, Francis Cook NZ. You can also subscribe to this podcast. We are pretty much everywhere, including iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the rest. And if you are already listening somewhere like Apple Podcasts, then do give us a nice review if you enjoyed this episode. Helps other people find us. Until next time, have a great day. And that's Francis cooking up your business confidence for another week. 
on News Talk ZB.